0: If you guys are excited to be alive and in God's house today, make some noise. If you enjoyed that worship, give God a shout of praise. Can we do that? Lord, we worship you in this place. You are King above all kings, Lord above all lords, and we give you your rightful place today. Man, I cannot tell you how. How much my soul and my spirit needed that time in God's presence today. So I pray that you feel refreshed, that you feel uh, renewed, and I really do believe everything that has happened so far this morning from the time of prayer with the intercessors this morning to the first service to to even just now, I just believe that God has got a word for us today. He wants to do a miracle in some people's lives and in some people's marriages, and so I just want to challenge you to open up your hearts and be ready to receive whatever God has has for you today. If you are new with us, uh, welcome. Let me be the second one to say that. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Pete, and I'm the lead pastor here, and you are joining us on week number three of this four-part series we've been in called The Vow, in which we are kind of doing a full-court press on um, taking a look at the different vows that we exchange, not just on our wedding day, but the vows that we need to continue to live by. If we're going to, number one, equip those of you who aren't married but want to be married one day to know how to build a successful God-honoring marriage, but number two, also to really equip and empower those of you who are married to build a marriage that will last the long haul, that will honor God, and that will impact and change generations to come. That's really our heart and why we've decided to take the month of February to do this series on marriage, because let's be honest, if you look around in our culture and our society today, marriages are struggling. And I believe, I mean, this is unacceptable. I believe God wants something better for us. And I wanna just press in and lean in and see what God's word has to say about how we can build marriages that will impact generations. And so as we get started today, let me just ask a simple question. How many of you um, that are married, married somebody who is very different from you? You married your opposite, raise your hands. Okay, just about everyone. We always hear this saying, you know, when you're dating that opposites what? Opposites attract, right? Opposites attract. But what happens after you're married? Opposites don't attract so much anymore, do they? Opposites begin to attack, don't they? In the beginning, opposites attract, you know, and after a while, opposites start to attract. Like while you're dating, you know, she might be really laid back, kind of easygoing, and that's that's just what you need and, and that's super attractive to you. And then you get married and you're like, man, she is a lazy bum. I wish she would get off the couch and do something. Or while you're dating, you know, he might be super driven, goal-oriented, focused. He knows what he wants to accomplish in life. And that is like so attractive to you. And then you get married and you're like, he is a control freak. I can't stand it, right? In the beginning, opposites attract. And after a while, opposites start to attack. Now, in my marriage, I know my wife is on the front row here today. Um, we are very, very different. Uh, she is an extrovert, and I'm an introvert. Uh, she's a feeler, and I'm a thinker. She is a communicator, and self admittedly, maybe a little bit of an over communicator, and I'm a little bit of a stuffer. I tend to under communicate. Uh, but we are very different, and those differences are good because if we were both the same, let's be honest, one of us wouldn't be necessary. <laughs> right? One of us wouldn't be necessary, and God has intended that our differences would complement each other and would actually strengthen our relationships, but the problem is that we have a very real adversary who wants to use those differences to try to divide us. God wants to use those differences to strengthen us, but our enemy wants to use those differences to divide us, which is why today I wanna talk about this vow of partnership and speak to it in a way that I believe will really strengthen our marriages. And for those of you who maybe weren't here for each of uh, the weeks of the series, I just want to give a quick recap. In week number one, we kicked things off by talking about the vow of priority. The vow of priority, that God is our number one and that our spouse is our number two. And so we, we said it this way, vow number one in week one was, I promise that God will always be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. And then last week we talked about the vow of pursuit and how does it go? We said in that vow that I promise to always pursue my two. To always pursue my two. And I was so proud to see some of you on Facebook surprising your wives with bouquet of flowers for no other reason than to say, I love you. Congratulations, good job on pursuing your two. But today, as I said, we're gonna talk about the vow of partnership. The vow of partnership. And this is what we're gonna say today. Vow number three today is I promise that our marriage will always be about we and not about me. I promise that our marriage will always be about we and not about me. The vow of partnership. See, whenever we enter into a covenant relationship with our spouse, it's intended to be till death do us part. From this moment on, life is no longer about me, 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 me. Even though up to that point, you probably spent your whole life thinking about all the things that you want out of life. What kind of house you want? What kind of car you want? What kind of job you want? What kind of toys you want? But the moment you say, I do, it's not just about you anymore. It's about we, right? I promise it will always be about we and not about me. And so today we're going to take a look yet again at the verse that is really the theme for this whole series. We've been looking at Genesis 2.24 and looking at different words and phrases within that verse to kind of talk about these different vows that we take to build a marriage that honors God. And so let's look at it again this morning. Genesis 2:24 says this. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and leaves was the word we looked at in week 1. and is united to his wife. We looked at united last week to talk about the vow of pursuit. And they become one flesh. The phrase, they become one, comes from the Hebrew root word echad. Echad, which means united or completely joined as one. Echad, the two will be united and completely joined as one flesh. Now, in just a moment, I'm gonna share with you a time when Jesus actually quoted this exact verse in Matthew, uh, but then added some additional truth to it. But before I go to that verse... I just want to say with all sincerity that I realize that what I'm about to say, I say it with tremendous sensitivity as I recognize and realize that there are many of you sitting here today that have experienced the pain and the brokenness of divorce. I know that there are many of you here today who would say, I really didn't want that. I didn't get married with the intention of getting divorced and I would have done anything to keep it from happening. And maybe there are others of you here today who say, you know what? I'm not who I used to be. I didn't know Jesus back then. I do now. And I recognize that I was the one at fault. Maybe I'm the reason that my first marriage ended in divorce. And what I want to say is that I hope that you Hear my heart as I share these words with you to understand that I in no way, shape, or form want you to feel like there's any guilt or shame or condemnation to those of you who have experienced that. We cannot change the past, but we can by looking at God's word and building a foundation there begin to build, you know, a hope for a better tomorrow. You know, if you're not married and you want to get married one day, this is what you need to look at. And for those of you who have experienced divorce, just recognize that God can redeem anything. Alright, so I just want to build a foundation today. We have to be honest about what scripture teaches. And so this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. He's quoting, he says, Have you not heard, or have you not read, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Verse 6: So they are no longer two, he goes on to say, but one flesh. Right? It's no longer me, it's it's about we. Therefore what god has joined together let no one separate because they are no longer two but now they are one what god joins together let no one ever separate it can be difficult to read that and to kind of make sense of it how do we how do we live this out in a world that has so much selfishness so much pain so much brokenness so much divorce and so I want to start by trying to lay a foundational understanding of what marriage actually is. You see, because I think so often people approach and view marriage as, well, marriage is, is just a piece of paper, right? In other words, it's a contract. We, we sign this, this thing that the judge makes us sign and justice of the peace, whatever, and it's just a contract. You know, I'm in it as far as you're in. But what we need to understand is that marriage is not a contract, but it's actually a covenant before a holy God. And there is a big, big difference between a contract and a covenant. And so I want to talk about that a little bit today. The main difference, if you're taking notes, between a contract and a covenant is that a contract is based on mutual distrust. Contract is based on mutual distrust. In other words, I don't know you well enough to take you at your word. So I'm gonna make you sign a piece of paper to say that you're gonna live up to your part of the deal. The contract essentially says, I'm in as far as you're in. And since I don't fully trust you, I'm gonna have you sign this contract to prove your faithfulness. And if you're not faithful, I have recourse against you, and I can I have an escape clause. I can get out of this contract. For example, um, you know, I my wife and I live in a a duplex of sorts. We have a house in Chicawaga, and we have a tenant upstairs and I've had rental properties in the past before and those of you that you know have ever been in uh, a rental agreement or have a house where you're renting it out to other people what do you have you've got a lease right in other words it's a contract why do we do that because I don't know these people and I've got to be insured that if you want to stay here you've got to pay you don't pay you don't stay right? And if they don't pay, I have recourse against them and vice versa. I've got to hold up my end of the bargain, you know, as the landlord to provide, you know, a suitable living environment for them. It's a contract that's based on mutual distrust, but a covenant is entirely different. A covenant isn't based on mutual distrust. A covenant is based on mutual commitment, on mutual commitment. We're both in it hundred percent with every part of our being. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew word for covenant in the Old Testament, it's actually this word berith, which literally means a cutting or a binding agreement. It literally is translated a blood covenant. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, whenever a covenant was created, there was bloodshed. There would be an animal that was sacrificed. And in the new covenant, which we are a part of now, what is that? You know, Jesus came as the spotless lamb of God who, when he died on the cross and shed his blood, he opened up a new covenant with his people that was based on his sacrifice, and he offers us the free gift of salvation if we place our faith and our trust in him. That's the new covenant that we are now a part of. But there's always a shedding of blood, and in fact, you know, what I'm about to tell you might be a little bit graphic, and I'll try to keep it PG for those who are uh, younger in the room, but it's actually quite a beautiful picture when you think about it. In the Old Testament times, often, you know, when a bride and groom would get married, they'd stand before a priest, and, you know, as part of the ceremony, the priest would take a sharp knife and would cut the hand of the groom, and then would cut the hand Of the bride and place their hands together mingling the blood together because the book of Leviticus says that the the life flow the life is in the blood and then the priest would take a rope and kind of tie their hands together to symbolize that the two have now become one they are now one flesh and if you take it a step further if you take it to the next level they would go to the honeymoon to consummate their marriage and in God's perfect world You see, the virgin man would enter the virgin woman and there would be a shedding of blood. And this was a holy, righteous, beautiful occasion ordained by God, symbolizing both physically and spiritually that in the eyes of God, the two have now become one. And this act is why it's always been reserved for marriage, Now, what I'm about to say might sound crazy and wacko and old-fashioned, but just bear with me, especially if you're newer to faith or new to church and you're not familiar with this stuff. I know it sounds crazy, but listen to me. When I look around and I see what normal is, I don't want any part of normal. You can have normal, okay? Normal isn't working. Can we be honest about that? It's not working. If you want what other people don't have, you've got to be willing to do what other people aren't doing. And what sounds old fashioned and crazy and wacko is this, God intended for that act of lovemaking to be reserved for marriage, to wait until marriage. And so I want to say to those of you here today who aren't yet married, but hope to be married one day, God's plan is that you wait for the marriage bed to be intimate with your spouse. And if you're here today and, you know, that's already happened in your relationship, let me tell you, it's never too late to start doing the right thing. There's forgiveness, there is grace, and God says that if you commit yourself to me, I will bless you. God can forgive, God can redeem. But is that even possible today? I know it sounds so crazy and so old-fashioned, but is that possible in today's culture and climate and society? And I would say yes, because everything and anything is possible with God if we submit and surrender our lives to him. This was something that Kelly and I did. It's one of the reasons I believe God has blessed our marriage is because we've built the foundation of our marriage on the way that he said that marriage is to be done. Now, that's not to say, as I said, that you know, those of you who are married who didn't start that way, it doesn't mean that your marriage is doomed. Okay, don't, don't read me the wrong way because God can redeem anything. But here's what happens, okay? And I'm just, I'm just going to be blunt and direct when I say this because so many people today do married things before they're actually married, right? That's kind of the way of our culture. I like you, you like me. We kind of love each other. You know, let's move in together, save some expenses. You know, you buy that couch, I'll buy that sofa, I'll bring my toothbrush and, and we'll do married people things, right? Before we're married. But inevitably, what happens, you know? He looks at some girl that makes her upset and she does something that makes him upset and all of a sudden, you know what? I don't like you anymore. You take the couch, I'll take the sofa, we'll divide stuff in the middle and we'll go our separate ways and move on to the next person who I hope will make me more happy. And so we practice being married and then when it doesn't work, we practice getting divorced. We move on to the next person. We practice being married and then it doesn't work out and we practice getting divorced. Because when it doesn't work out, we just separate and go our own ways. And you do this one, two, three, five, ten times maybe, I don't know. And it's no wonder why when you finally do get married and the first time the marriage runs into some trouble, the first time you're in crisis, the first time you have a difficulty that comes up because you're opposites and after you're married, opposites don't attract so much anymore, opposites start to attack, what do you want to do? Well, you've spent your whole life practicing getting married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. And so, hey, let's just get divorced. We've got irreconcilable differences. Let's just go our own way. That's why we don't enter into a contract. I'm in as far as you're in. That's why we need to understand that this is marriage is a holy covenant. I'm in 100% from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others, I will be faithful to you as long as we both shall live. So help me, God, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A binding agreement, a covenant that I'm in 100%. It's not 50-50, Okay, so many people look at it that way. You come 50, I come 50, we meet in the middle. That's what marriage is, right? It's all about compromise. No, in marriage, in a covenant marriage, it's 100%. I'm in all the way. Marriage is never dividing everything in half. It's giving everything you've got. i must say that again. Marriage is never dividing things in half, coming halfway. Marriage is giving everything that you've got. It's not do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a contract. It's due unto others as Christ has done for you. That's a covenant. That's the difference. It's partnership. It's about we and not about me. So, what is a covenant partnership, covenant marriage all about? I want to summarize it with kind of one statement that I want to give you today. Partnership in a covenant marriage is about godly leadership and mutual submission. Godly leadership and mutual submission. Now, I recognize that the moment I say the word submission, some of you are like, "Ah!" and they start to freak out and haywire. And listen, I get it. I understand that's because that word has been misused and abused so much over the years, you know, because what we need to understand, what what I want you to hear me say is that I said mutual submission, mutual submission, See, the, the famous passage that we like to quote about marriage, we always start at verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. But that whole passage of Scripture that Paul writes to the, to the church in Ephesus begins, you know, that, that whole passage is, contains instructions for Christian households. And that section begins at verse 21, which says, Submit to one Another. Submit to one another as long as they do what you're asking them to do. As long as they live up to their end of the bargain. As long as they're making you happy. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of a grateful heart in our response to who he is and what he's done for us. In our relationships with one another, we are to submit to one another another. Let me ask you a question. I know there's different types of personalities and some are more dominant and some are more passive. So how many of you here today would identify yourselves as a dominant personality? Raise your hands. Usually it's about half of the people. Okay. How many of you would say, you know, I'm more of a passive person. And if you have to turn to the person next to you and ask what you are, I'm just going to tell you you're passive. (laughs) Just, just, Just helping you out. Okay. in my marriage, you know, by nature, Kelly is actually a little bit more of the dominant personality. Um, I'm more phlegmatic. I'm more laid back and easygoing, you know, kind of don't rock the boat. Let's just, can't we all get along? Let's keep the peace at all costs and, you know, just go with the flow. But Kelly's more of the choleric. She likes to take charge and she's got a very dominant personality. And that would be easy for me because of that, you know, to kind of use the, the um, traditional model of like, you know, I'm the head of the household to try and overcompensate, you know, for that personality difference and say, well, the Bible says that you're supposed to submit to me, so submit, woman. <laughs> Let me tell you how well that would go over. <laughs> Listen, I would be the dumbest man alive if I didn't make room For all of the amazing and unique gifts and talents and passions that this woman brings to the covenant marriage. I would be stupid. We mutually submit to one another. She submits to my leadership, but I submit to her in different areas and ways as well. Like, for example, I mean, this woman has discernment that is off the charts. Like, on the discernment scale, she is way up here, and I barely register sometimes on the discernment scale. I am, like, you know, just trusting to a fault sometimes. I just assume that whatever a person is telling me, they're telling me the truth. I just believe them. But there's a lot of times where Kelly has this ability through her discernment, I believe it's a spiritual gift that she has, to kind of know that when a person has an ulterior motive or, you know, isn't being completely honest. And so I've learned over the course of our marriage that I need to submit to her discernment. I also submit to her intuition when it comes to the family front, like she's got a better You know, she's got her finger on the pulse of what the needs of our family are. She knows what's best for our boys. She spends more time with them during the day. She, you know, homeschools our children. And, you know, when she comes to me and she says, you know what, Pete, I I really think like we need to maybe change our approach with Sammy or we need to kind of get away and and spend some one-on-one time with the boys because I feel like they need this. And I've learned she's got some intuition and I need to submit when she says that there's something that needs to change in the dynamic of our family. And so I submit to her on that. But we mutually submit to one another. But then after saying submit to one another, Paul goes on to say in verse 22, this is the part that women sometimes have a hard time with. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Wow. Submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which... He is the Savior. The husband is the head of the wife. And I heard one woman say, well, if he's the head, I'm the neck. I'm going to turn his head, tell him where to look and where to go. (laughs) You can do with that what you want. But Scripture is very clear that the husband is to be the point lead for the family. And listen to me. It's not because of superior abilities. It's because of divine placement. God has created a certain order that the household is to be run in order for it to function and operate most effectively to its fullest capacity. And then verse 24, he finishes that part to the wives by saying, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I'll let the scripture speak for itself there. No commentary added. So, when we read this, like I said, I know a lot of people immediately have a sense of pain because of how this has been abused over the years. Men have used this, these three verses as justification for dominating and domineering their wives, and it's wrong but rather than me standing up here and telling all of you ladies you know what it looks like to submit and how you need to submit once again just like in previous weeks i've asked my wife to come and join me on the stage so life church would you please give my wife a hand as she joins me up here today
1: I hope you all don't start getting sick of me. This is like the third week in a row that he's let me come up here and share this time <laughs> with him. So. But if you notice, um, I'm not sitting today. So we decided beforehand that if I stand, maybe I won't talk as long.
0: So, <laughs> it, it didn't work the first it service. It didn't work so first service. We'll We're try. like partway through.
1: I was like, where's my chair? I just want to sit down. But no, it's
0: okay. So submission. Yeah. All right. Okay. What do you What do you think? Let Let the women hear from, from your perspective on what submission means. Okay.
1: So... All right, this is for men and ladies before I talk to the ladies alone. But, like, I want you all to think about a set of blueprints for a house, okay? Would it be wise or unwise to look at the blueprints and then consult a builder to build a house that can weather storms and crazy weather, right? Like, it's wise to do that. And with the um, this Ephesians verse that Pete's been talking about, this is actually God's blueprint for home life. And so it's not right or wrong, it works. And God has designed something that when we look at it and when we follow it, it actually makes sense. So I just want like, you to have kind of open hearts uh, here for the next couple of minutes as I'm sharing. Um, so we're talking about this divine order of the home, right, where a woman would submit to her husband. I want to start by saying that I think the word submit in this concept, it is grossly misunderstood in culture Um, So I'm going to do my very best to kind of give you my heart on it, if you can hear it. Um, The first thing I want to say is what it's not. Ladies, submission is not blindly following. It is not subjecting yourself to verbal or physical abuse. And it's not following your husband into sin. So that is what it is not, okay? Um, What it is, is it is you complimenting instead of competing. So we have this opportunity when we submit to our husbands to bring the gifts and the talents and the unique person that God has made us to be, whether we are more of a dominant personality like me who's got to kind of like rein it in sometimes, or whether we're more timid. Like, it's not personality-driven, right? Um, We have this unique opportunity. Whatever and however God has made you, we have this unique opportunity to be able to bring that to the table and to complement who our husband is in the home. And um, the heart really of women's rights movements and, you know, the feminist movement, the heart of that is women wanting to be seen and heard for who they are, they want to be seen as equal, they want to be seen as significant and valuable, wives, you are significant and valuable. And in the way that we operate within the home, there's this way that we can honor and obey God because he's shown us the best way to live. Because really, we can function as a family and as a home if we're not operating within this framework of Ephesians that it gives us, right? We can function. So there's a lot of people all across America that function in framework where the wife is not submitted to the husband or maybe the husband's not acting as the head of the home. Um, but it. It's not God's best for us is the thing. So when we do this, we're actually setting ourselves up to be able to experience the beauty of home life and of marriage the way that God intended for it to be. So um, having said all of that, um, the other thing I want to say is that um, we don't want to control we want to uh, um, contribute. That was, yeah, there's all these C words in my head. Um, So we want to contribute, okay? And so these things that I, like in my strong personality, there are times when I want to like force my opinions and my suggestions onto my husband. I want to like control the situation. I'm like, ah, just do what I say because I think, I told him sometimes I actually, this is a little bunny trail, but sometimes I actually venture from like an opinion into thinking that it's like right and wrong. Like it goes from my opinion to like no there's actually a right or wrong with this and so I've got to like just rein it in sometimes but um so I have got to let go of that control and say you know what I don't need to control like decisions or I don't need to control everything but I can contribute so I will you know share and I will offer suggestions but it is mutually submitting there okay there is a um verse, Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And what I wanted to let you all know is that the word helper that's used there, um, sometimes we might think that that is like an inferior thing like, uh, you know, like servant in a not good way, if you know what I mean, not like in a biblical servant sense. We feel like it's less than, Mm -hmm. but God actually refers to himself in several passages of scripture as a helper. So if you think about it that way, um, even the perspective on what a helper does, it is valuable. So ladies, I just want to encourage you that as you're submitting to your husbands in the way that's healthy and biblical, you are valuable and you are important.
0: Yeah. I mean, if you think about that, That really elevates the, you know, uh, position of a helper or helpmate. You literally become like God to your husband when you come alongside of him to offer help and assistance, which is what the Holy Spirit does. He's called the paraclete in the Greek, which is one who comes alongside to offer help and assistance. So, I mean, think about that. That's, That's a pretty lofty position to be in, ladies, like God to your husband. All right. So... Let's put some practical handles on this for them then, real quickly mm-hmm. before um, we wrap this part up. Disagreement, right? That
1: never happens.
0: Never <laughs> happens in our house. But for all of those of you that really do argue, because we never argue, <laughs> in the context of submission, how do you handle disagreement? How does that play itself out in our relationship?
1: Okay. First, I'm not, oh, I'm going to share some dirt. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it would be dirt on me. It's me dangerous tell you. giving her a microphone. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sometimes I can be a little bit much. Sorry. Okay. Um... Focus. Focus. Disagreements. Okay. So the first thing I want to say, (laughs) the first thing that I want to say is this. When it comes to major decisions in our home, so when we're talking major things, we're talking moving to a new state, which has happened a couple times, um, buying a house, that's happened a couple times, um, purchasing a car, happened a couple times. Those major decisions, our goal is always unity. So sometimes it's hard because we might not always agree, um, but... uh, at the end of the day, we really strive for unity. And I feel like even though sometimes it's been hard for the most part, we've been able to do that. We've been in unity on those decisions. Let's all be real, right? The stuff that makes marriage hard is like the annoying little stuff that's day-to-day. It's not usually like the huge decisions. It's like some of the day-to-day stuff. So I'm gonna give you a hypothetical scenario. (laughs) Hypothetically the husband would like to buy a huge TV for his non-existent man cave. <laughs> hypothetically. Because it's Black Friday. And hypothetically, the wife says, Hey, husband, um, we're in the middle of like a basement remodel, and we are not finished yet, so if the expenses exceed what we think it will, it might be good to have that money on hand, so maybe we should wait. And this is all hypothetical. And the husband then says... Um, but it's, good, it's Black Friday, and it's a really good deal. <laughs> so the wife, very um, encouragingly, <laughs>
0: says, Honey... I would have used a different adjective, but go ahead. <laughs>
1: this is hypothetical. If <laughs> the wife says, Honey, I think that maybe we should rethink when we buy the TV, maybe we should wait till after and after a period of silence, it may have lasted a couple days. Just kidding. <laughs> it didn't really last a couple of days, although things were tense for a little bit. But close, listen, yeah. silent treatment is not godly. People, we need to communicate, okay? I'm like an over-communicator. <laughs> we need to communicate and don't go to bed angry, okay? Those are the two things. All right. Um, so, when that happens, I then at the end, I didn't mean I, I meant hypothetically, the wife says, <laughs> turn Okay, okay. (laughs) Nice try. This happened when we were in Ohio, when we were finishing our basement. Okay, so we go through this whole conversation and we get to the end of it. And um, he was really bent on like, because we had the cash to do it. So he was like, I could buy this TV in cash. And so after I said maybe three times, like, I really think we shouldn't. He then said to me, but at the end of the day, it's my decision. And I was like, okay. And so this is what I said. I said to him, I submit to you. I actually said these words, okay? I said, I do submit to you, and I can actually, like, breathe a sigh of relief because if this is a bad financial decision, it's on your shoulders, it's between you and God, and it's not on my shoulders because I contributed and told you what I thought. (laughs) Um, So, but that really is what happened, and it was hard, right? Because, ladies, submission is not submission until you disagree,
0: and that's really
1: hard. So... We um, really like each other, and we're friends, and actually, I just, can I give a shout out? I love my husband, and I'm crazy about him. I just want you to know that. I know that we like to share a lot of our dirt with you <laughs> so that you know that we're real and we're in the trenches with you, but I love this man, and he puts up with a lot for me because I am no walk in the park someday, <laughs> so... Um, Okay, but I'm saying that to say that, like, there's a lot of times where we agree just because we're similar in, like, our worldview, we share common values, and so there's a lot of stuff that we agree on, and there's some stuff that we don't agree on, and there have been times in our marriage for these not major decisions where I've had to be like, you know what, I really do submit to you, and so ladies, I want to encourage you with this. If you feel like it's hard to submit to your husband, ask God for help, because he is able to help you, and he gives us grace, and we're honoring God when we submit to our husbands. Um, It's not about you not being heard and not being valued. It's about us um, contributing and bringing to the marriage what we can, and when we do that, we can actually watch our husbands grow and flourish and become the man that God's called them to be. Um, when Pete and I were first married, I actually saw um, like a less aggressive side of Pete. Aggressive is the wrong word. Um, he was a little bit more laid back, even in leading in our home. Passive. And passive, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the longer that we've been married and the better that I've gotten at submitting, I've actually been able to get out of the way enough that he has to lead. Mm -hmm. And so that happens. And there have been times in our marriage where, like, something will be going on, and I've got these opinions that have gone from opinions to, like, right and wrong. And I feel like the Holy Spirit's like, stop, stop it, and just stop talking. And I have had to just, like, bite my tongue and hold it back because our men are anointed to lead. And so at the end of the day, guys, men and women... Husbands and wives, this is not about um, personalities. It's not about who's dominant and who's passive. It's about anointing. And the way that God, so um, anointing means like being set apart. God has set apart men to be able to be leaders in the home. God has set apart women to be able to be a contributor in the home that enables the men to lead well. And when it's functioning well, it's really healthy and really strong. And if you think about those blueprints, all of it works together. And homes stand the test of time if they're built well. And so, same thing with our marriages and our family life. If we build it well and we follow the blueprint, it will stand the test of time. So, okay, I'm gonna get off
0: stage. Bye. <laughs> you see why I love this woman? So much wisdom. That was a powerful statement. Submission is not submission until you disagree. That is powerful. Now I'm going to switch it and talk to the guys. And listen, for those of you who think that, you know, the word submit is a hard thing for women to kind of come under, if you look at this passage of Scripture, the charge to the men is more difficult. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I ain't Jesus. (laughs) That is hard to do to lay down your life every single day to put her needs, wants, wishes before your own. So men, I'm going to talk to you because I know that men have been or can be sometimes more dominant and use their position as head of the home to dominate or domineer or abuse their spouses and I'm just going to say that that is wrong. If that's happening, you need to seek counsel and get help. Wives, if you're in an abusive situation, you need to get help. But what I see a lot of times in the context of, especially the church, isn't so much this this scenario of, you know, men trying to control their women and keep them under their thumbs. I see actually the opposite, where where men are being too passive and abdicating their, their rightful role as leader in the home. And that's not biblical either. And so what I want to say is, men, you're called to lead, so lead. Lead. Now, leadership doesn't mean that you make all the decisions As you just heard. That's dictatorship. If you think that you're the one who's responsible to make every single decision for your family, that's dictatorship. That's not leadership. I lead this church, but that doesn't mean make, I, make, I make all the decisions for it. We've got a team of people that you know, I've empowered and entrusted to, to make decisions all day, every day. As the leader of this church, I set the tone and the direction for the vision of where we're going as a church. And the same is true in the home. Men, you are called and anointed by God to lead your home, to set the spiritual tone and temperature and direction for where the family is going. And our wives contribute to this all day long in in massive and amazing ways. We are, you know, we're co-directing and leading our children to know and follow and love Jesus but men, we lead with honor, we lead with dignity, and we lead by serving first, because that's what Jesus did. If we're gonna lead our families into battle, you better be the first one on the battlefield. In my home, I'm gonna be the first one to serve. And when you do that, men, that is something that is so easy for a wife to come alongside of and submit to when you are being a servant leader. I've never met a woman whose husband was loving her like Christ loved the church and serving her that had a hard time submitting to that kind of love and leadership. We need to understand that a husband's leadership in the marriage is not based, like I said earlier, it is not based on superior abilities. Okay, so men, if if your wives are better at balancing the checkbook, let them balance the checkbook. Swallow your pride and your ego. Let them do what they excel at and you do what you're good at. Leadership means that we assume responsibility for the relationship. It means we're accountable to God. It means you put your wife's needs before your own. It means you make her load lighter, not heavier. It means you help her develop and utilize her gifts and abilities just like Jesus does for the church. It means you love her sacrificially. God calls us as husbands to be servant leaders who takes the initiative to direct his family and serve the needs of his wife and children. A servant leader takes the initiative to be the spiritual leader in his home by setting the example in prayer, worshiping God and the church together as a family, and reading and studying God's word. Let your wife, let your children see you doing that. It means taking the initiative to provide for your family. It means taking the initiative to ask for forgiveness when you're wrong. To seek resolution when conflict is present and to ensure that your home is a place of encouragement and safety. We don't tell our wives, you just need to submit, woman. It will not go well for you. (laughs) We don't use our positions to dominate. You serve first and you lead in a direction. But we need to mutually submit to one another. And listen, you know, having a a partnership is what we're talking about in the context of marriage is about having a common vision for where your family is headed. When I think back and I I think about the time when we were dating and when we started getting serious and we knew we were going to get married we'd have long conversations sometimes on the phone sometimes you know at at a dinner date about what we wanted our marriage to look like, what we wanted our lives to look like. And we both agreed that we both wanted to have a marriage that honored God and was Christ-centered. We both agreed that we wanted to raise kids that knew and loved and served Jesus and our heart for his church. We both agreed that we wanted to give our lives in service to our king in the local church. And this was long before vocational ministry was even a part of what I had hoped to be able to do. At that point, I wanted nothing to do with being in quote-unquote full-time ministry. But we loved Jesus and we wanted to serve him in the local church. And what is so cool for me and so emotional for me to think about now over 11 years in the marriage is that we are living out to this day the very vision we had before we ever got married. When you have two, this is not about, you know, guys, you doing your thing while she does her thing and you occasionally come to, you know, come in the middle. When you have two visions, that's division. It's division. Marriage is about having a unified vision for where God is leading you together. What has God called and created us to do? What unique gifts and talents has he given each of us that together we can use to accomplish what he has put us for, what he has put us together for? It's about a common vision. It's not you be quiet and do what I told you to do. It's let's come together and do what God's called us to do. That's leadership and mutual submission toward a marriage that is a beautiful picture of the love that God has for his bride, the church. And listen, about this time is when I hear some people say, you know what, that's really great for you, Pastor Pete. You and, and your nice pastor life and your pastor wife and your perfect life and, you know, just your, your easy pastor life where everything is just easy and you don't really understand. You're a little out of touch you know, with the reality of the real world and the pressures that we face, you know, while you're doing your pastor thing. You're a little naive, Pastor Pete. That's nice for you, but, you know, it's not so easy for us. And if I could just say to you this, can I just call it like it is? I promise you that Kelly and I face every single challenge and hardship that you guys face. You're busy. We're just as busy. I promise you our schedules are insane. I promise you that I am just as vulnerable to temptation as you are. I've sinned against God. Kelly has sinned against God. We've sinned against each other. We've hurt each other. We've let each other down. We have disappointed each other. There's drama in our extended families. Hello, everyone's got a little crazy in their family. We, we have serious expectations that people place on us that we feel the constant pressure to have to live up to. But through it all, with all of the challenges that we face just like you, we have a solid, successful, and blessed marriage. But it's not because I'm a pastor. And it's not because it's been easier for us. It's because we have chosen to work together and we work very, very hard to build a marriage that honors God and can impact the next generation. you're going to have to work hard for it too. This next statement might make some of you a little upset, but it is absolutely true. Your marriage will be as good as both of you decide it will be. Your marriage will be as good as both of you decide it will be. And every single word of that phrase is true. It's as both of you decide. And listen, I understand that some of you are in a place where one of you isn't all in. And you can't change that person. But we're talking about a covenant in here. We're not in it as far as they're in it. We are in it with everything we have so that we can bring honor to God in the relationship. And so if you're both Christ followers, you have the opportunity to come together and decide. We want to honor God. But listen, if, you're, if only one of you is following Jesus, your spouse won't even come to church with you your spouse doesn't understand what true partnership means in the context of a covenant marriage, then listen to me, as much as it depends on you, you love and serve your spouse out of reverence for Christ, not out of what you're getting out of the deal, out of reverence for Christ. As much as it depends on you, you love and serve your spouse, but it will never be easy It will always be a choice. It will always take work. It will always take putting God first. It will always take you denying yourself. It will always take pursuing one another. It will always be about putting we first and not me first. And I can promise you there are gonna be times where you don't feel like it. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like loving. I don't feel like serving today. I don't feel like forgiving today. I don't feel like it. I don't feel like working at it today. I never knew it would be this hard. Listen to me, in what other area of your life can you say you don't feel like it and get away with it? None. I don't feel like feeding the baby today. (laughs) Try that out for a few days, see how it works out. I don't feel like going to work today. Well, I hope you don't feel like eating either. I don't feel like paying taxes. I hope you like jail. Sometimes you got to get over your stupid feelings. Hello. Can somebody say amen? Because marriage is not measured by your feelings. It's measured by your commitment. Marriage is not measured by your feelings. It's measured by your commitment. Feelings will follow commitment if you stay committed. Amen. You may say, but Pastor Pete, you don't understand. I'm not happy. We fell out of love and I understand. I, Listen, I don't want to belittle that. I don't want to say that it's not horrible for you. I don't want to say that you're not married to someone who is incredibly difficult. Pastor Pete, you don't understand. And you know what? You're right. I don't. I don't. I'm not in your shoes. But I've seen it. I know how hard it can be. I've sat across the desk from people who want to be in it with everything they have. But their spouse isn't reciprocating. But listen to me, just because you don't feel love anymore doesn't mean you get to throw in the towel. There are a few biblically justifiable reasons for divorce, and only a few. That is abuse, abandonment, and adultery. That is it. Not being happy is not one of the reasons for divorce. Falling out of love is not one of the reasons for divorce. Getting divorced because you fell out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. When you run out of gas, what do you do? You put more in it. When you fall out of love, what do you do? You put more in it. You're in a covenant relationship. I'm in this 100% with everything I've got, so I'm going to put more in it, and I'm going to put more in it, and as God gives me grace, I'm going to keep putting in it until it's filled back up because we're in a covenant relationship. This is a partnership. I'm in it 100%. Listen, we can be united or we can be untied. And what's the difference between untied and united? It's where the I is. If I is in the right place, submitted to God and submitting to my spouse, serving her, laying down my life, then we're united. But if I is in the wrong place and I'm all about me and not about we, then we become untied. When I'm loving Jesus and doing my best to lay down my wife, For my bride and she's in the right place with the help of God and we're submitting to one another as we use our differences to strengthen our marriage and seek him together and be a representation to the world of the kind of love and sacrifice and unconditional surrender then that is a marriage that honors God and can impact generations let's pray Lord, I've just had a sense in my spirit all day, all week really as as I've been preparing for today that you wanted to do miracles today. God, that you wanted to restore and redeem marriages that have been on the brink that are headed towards divorce. God, nothing is impossible for you. So right now, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just arrest us, would convict us, would help us to realize, Lord, that we can't do it in our own strength. Lord, but you've promised to never leave us. You have shed, you have poured out your love in our hearts, God. We can't love our spouse the way you've called us to without you. And so this morning, God, I pray for every single person. I pray for every married person. I pray for every divorced person, God, that first and foremost, you would be our number one. God, that we would place you on the throne of our hearts, that we would submit to you first. That we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then out of that love relationship, out of that place of surrender to you, God, you would help us, Lord, if we're single, to prepare ourselves for our number two. Lord, if we're married, that we would begin mutually submitting to one another. God, if we're divorced, that we would recognize that you can redeem, that you can restore. And Lord, that when you justify us, your grace covers us, and you look at us just as if we'd never sinned. God, I thank you for second chances. I thank you for grace. I thank you for mercy. Right now, some of you are dealing with guilt and shame, and I just want to say that right now, in the name of Jesus, shame rolls off of you. You are forgiven in the name of Jesus. God, I just ask that for those who are in crisis, Lord, that you would give them the courage they need to seek help. Lord, we love you. And real quick, before I close, I, I talked about the difference between untied and united with all heads bowed and eyes closed. There are some of you here today who, you know what, maybe you grew up around church, maybe you've kind of stayed at a distance, but today you know the Holy Spirit is kind of tugging on your heart and that difference being, you know, I being in the wrong place. And you know as you sit here today that I am not in the right place with God. And he's knocking on the door of your heart and he just wants you to open up so that he can come in. And so if that's you here today, if if you're ready to cross that line to say, you know what, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. If you want to invite Jesus to come into your heart, would you just raise your hands all across this place? Anybody here today that wants to surrender and make Jesus the Lord of their lives? I see that hand up front here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Raise your hand. People surrendering their life to Jesus Christ. To make him their heavenly Father. His Holy Spirit comes in and lives in you. Church family, I see that hand in the back. Church family, will you just pray with me together with those who are receiving Jesus Christ this morning as their Lord and Savior? Heavenly Father, I need you. I thank you that you sent your son to die for my sin. Lord, I confess that I'm a sinner. And I invite you to come into my heart, wash me, cleanse me, make me new, fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live for you and follow you every day for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for making me new. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. Church, can we put our hands together? The family of God just screw. It's awesome. If you prayed that prayer a moment ago, I want to just invite you in a few moments after I dismiss everyone to come on up to the front here. We've got some resources that we would love to put into your hands uh, just to kind of help you know what some of your next steps need to be as a follower of Jesus Christ. That was just the first step on a journey that's going to last the rest of your life. And so we would love as a church to partner with you on this journey to help you know the best way to follow Jesus. And so we're just excited with you. We want to celebrate with you. And so we would love to pray with you when you come up front here after this services over uh, and put a Bible and some other resources into your hands. Listen, before I dismiss you, those of you that had plans to be here for the group link event, I just want to give you a few instructions, okay? After I release you, I want to encourage you to go ahead, if you have children, to check your kids out from Kids Life and then make your way to the back of the auditorium here where we've got two pub height tables set up to check you in and get you a name badge. That name badge, once you put that on, will give you permission to have some pizza. If you're not staying for the group link event, you don't get pizza. I'm sorry. <laughs> we only bought enough for those that are coming to group link. All right. Uh, I want to encourage you to grab some pizza if you're staying, mingle, get to know some people here. Pastor Lauren's going to come up in a little while and give you some instructions before we head into the connection center where the actual event is going to take place. but listen, I love the fact normally when we do you know a connect event or a group link event where we're going to you know connect people to groups or launch new small groups, I try to preach a message that really casts vision for why you need to make it a priority to pursue group life and being in community but I really felt, you know, that this was a series we were supposed to be in. And I love the fact that it landed on the week where we talked about partnership. Because not only do we need to be in partnership with our spouse, we need to be in partnership with other people. You know, if you really want to grow in your faith, if you want to get to know some more people in the church, I believe with all my heart, it's not cliche, it's scriptural. You cannot really grow spiritually if you're not connected relationally. And that's why we say circles are better than rows. I love Sundays. It's my favorite day of the week where we gather together in rows. But listen, life happens in relationships. And so I really want to encourage and implore you, if you are not connected to a life group, to make plans to be here, to stay, to be a part of this, to join a life group. I promise you, you will not regret it. I know community can be messy. I know some people have had bad experiences. But listen, we don't stop doing the right things just because we've had bad experiences in the past. Amen? And so church, I love you so much. I hope that you'll stay for the group link events, but come back next week for the fourth and final part of the vow. Love you so much. Have a great week. We'll see you later.